I'm here with Jacqueline Oak, who's the co-founder of Cardon, um, a direct-to-consumer men's personal care brand. Prior to founding Cardon, she worked for M.M. Lafleur, Google, Amazon, uh, Amazon subsidiary Quidzy, PricewaterhouseCooper. So she's had this really fascinating background um, and first row seat to the trends in companies shaping e-commerce. And Jacqueline, you also have an associate degree of arts and sciences in fashion and apparel design, as well as a BS in accounting, finance, and mathematics. So you bring this really polymathic background to business. Um, and I'm so excited to explore how you think about competition and differentiation. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Well, let's let's start off a little bit with your story. Tell us about um, th wherever you want to start. How did you end up where you are today? Yeah, well, I actually started off in accounting at PwC, auditing, and my industry was actually reinsurance, which is insurance for insurance companies. So it could not be more like numbers driven and like events. And um, I think after two years, what I felt was missing was really that um, love of retail and like knowing the consumer and like I loved working with consumer goods. So that's how I switched over to Quidzy. I was doing finance for them and then shifted over, kind of like hopped around a lot. <laughs> Um, shifted over to doing more of like the marketing analytics side for their health and beauty brand called, uh, or e-commerce site called soap.com. Um, and actually, so I first got my bachelor's degree at NYU in finance and accounting. And then it was when I was at Quincy that I started to take night classes at FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology. Oh, wow. um, because I felt like I was just missing that creativity and like fashion was always something I was really interested in. Um, so before starting Cardon, I was at MMO Fleur, which is a women's workwear D2C company. And there I was eventually running their retail uh, channel, so all their showrooms. So kind of like saw a full range of things, but definitely like consistently passionate about retail and more, more so like just like I went from a larger company to smaller, 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 to now founding my own. Um, Cause I just, I love startups and like being able to figure out, um, I build something cool for our consumers. Well, did you have a sense um, that you would end up starting a company or did that kind of, was that an epiphany that happened later um, and, and more recently? Yeah, I think when I went to business school, it was definitely something that was like top of mind. I think from my career trajectory, I was always going for smaller, smaller. I like the chaos of a startup. Um, I like being able to like solve problems. And so maybe I didn't set off knowing that, but I think while at business school, that was definitely the track I was pursuing. And that's actually where we started hard on. Um, my co-founder, Nare, she was actually my roommate and she comes from also like this background in retail at like Gillette, Olay, and SK2, and really saw like men's skincare take off in Korea. And the way that we started was actually, she wanted to run the consumer focus group, and I was like, let me help you. We invited a couple of our male classmates over, you know, ordered pizza, beer, and we're just like, hey, we're gonna talk about skincare. Um, so I started off just kind of like facilitating, but that conversation was really what like piqued my interest because we saw that like when given the opportunity men were really excited to talk about skincare and that it just didn't naturally come up but there was this like unlocked um you know passion for it 
And during that consumer focus group, you know, the guys were actually asking each other all these questions and like Naya couldn't even like get a word in because they were so excited. Um, so after that, she asked me again if I would be her co-founder. Um, and at the time I was working on some sort of like financial tool for retailers, um, but building a brand was definitely way more exciting. So that was back in like 2017. That's awesome. Well, so, I mean, I think I think a lot of people probably know this, but a lot of people probably don't know this. But you know, you were at Wharton, which is has been in many ways the epicenter of of kind of D 2 C formation and D 2 C evolution with Warby Parker and and all yeah. kinds of others that have have come out of that school with um, with investment from those early founders and with the professors. So one of the things that um, I'm really curious about is, is always how companies and how entrepreneurs identify niches and, and opportunities and validate that those are truly opportunities to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like you started with this consumer focus group. How did, how did you start to really recognize there's, there's potential here? Yeah, I think you have to validate through both like quantitative and qualitative um, measures and so for us we were seeing industry trends start to indicate that skincare was going to be the next big thing in men's grooming and you see that similarly in the asian markets where you see you know fashion take off hair care fragrance deodorant followed by skincare and we already were seeing that the first you know few had taken off and then you know the early indicators of like consumer sentiment doing those like consumer focus groups Um, And so I think the other thing that we saw was like a big opportunity was K-beauty, you know, Korean skincare is really advanced and had taken over the female space, but really hadn't come into the male space yet. And there really wasn't that brand, you know, where it was that high quality, but like affordable price and truly like tailored towards men's skin needs. So like men shave. And so there's often a lot of irritation and sensitivity which is how we developed this line that's like cactus face. So you can think of it as like aloe, but supercharged. <laughs> um, and, and, and so that's kind of like understanding where the consumer need was and like how to communicate. I think like the industry is still pretty like nascent. And so that's why we invest a lot into like educating um, and like creating content and creating experience that's very accessible. So not only are the products amazing, but also it's like a brand that you think you can speak to and you want to grab a beer with. One of the things that's always interesting to me is, is, is how uh, I think maybe the difference is between building a software company and building a brand. And in the context of building a software company, you're often taught to try to understand a problem and then ask yourself how software might solve that problem, which is typically a job to be done. In the context of building a brand and identifying opportunity to build a brand, is it, is it that we are looking for a problem or is it that we're looking for an opportunity? I would say it's the same approach of looking for what is the consumer pain point. So I think what we were seeing was that men wanted to express themselves differently and like are investing more in self-care, but there wasn't an easy starting point, you know, and there wasn't, you know, you either had to choose between these like drugstore brands that weren't good quality or you had to go for a really overpriced high brand but if you're just starting off you're not going to like invest two hundred dollars into a moisturizer so there wasn't that like middle point and then going back to like how we came up with our line it was always very like problem driven so like 
well, shaving irritation is a big uh, issue that men deal with. Oilier skin is also a, a big issue. And so, like, a lot of these, like, unisex brands, you know, like, tend to skew towards, like, female, like, um, skin concerns versus, like, male. And then the, the other thing is, like, I think also from the brand uh, perspective, how we built our brand is also, like, consumer, like, pain point driven. So our first SKU was this SPF moisturizer. And sunscreen is actually one of the hardest skincare um, products to create, especially, like, for a new brand starting off because it is FDA regulated. But that was also the biggest pain point that people were feeling because nobody likes to put on that, like, sticky, greasy goop that, like, makes you look like a ghost afterwards. Um, and so that's really where we focused our initial 18 months, you know, just developing that really innovative formula, um, even though it was, like, the hardest product to bring to market. Can you take listeners a little bit deeper into how you realized that SPF was, was what sounds like the wedge? Yeah, I think SPF is, you know, we call, like, our gateway product because, you know, you may not really understand, like, why you need to wash your face every day or use, um, you know, moisturizer or serum or uh, toner, but sunscreen, you know, you need to protect your skin against the sun, you know, but like there was that clear, like, okay, I want to do that, but there isn't a good product that I would willingly put on my face every single day. And so we do a lot of education around like why you need sunscreen and also like why it should be an everyday skew and not just like a seasonal or like occasional product. And that's truly like preventative, like or like aging or like dexuging cancer does so much versus like corrective afterwards. Um, and so we we came up really from that consumer focus group because a lot of people were complaining about like sunscreen being something that they can't find a good one of. Um, yeah. Tell us and more so about that's tell us, where we started. Tell us more about the consumer focus groups. Like, what was the sample size that you you needed to feel confident that this is this is the right way for us to start? Yeah, I I think like the number doesn't necessarily matter as long as you are able to like dive in deep. For us, we had I want to say like a group of nine, like seven to nine, and um, it was really about understanding their needs like beyond what they're saying you know and I think what I heard was that I am interested but I really don't know where to start you know Mm. like I don't know the questions to ask Mm. and um that like uncertainty like I remember one um of the guys was like this is actually really fun but like I would have never had these conversations with my guy friends because I'm not at the gym being like yo bro do you moisturize (laughs) You know, but, um, but they're interested, you know, they're like, where did you get this product? How does it feel? Um, and so I think being able to be a brand where we can like foster that conversation, we actually invest heavily in like the education piece and the personalization. So we offer like virtual consultations via like text or like video. Um, we started to develop a blog post just because there were a lot of like common questions like around you know, I have oily skin, what do I do? Like, how can I tell what my skin type is? Um, and, you know, I think there's just like this question of like, I want to have better skin, but I don't know where to start. And so like laying out like a very simple, easy routine of like, this is like pretty much all you need to build a strong foundation. We have like high quality, it's multifunctional. 
and like hitting them where like what matters you know this is a good value play this is uh like highly effective but still gentle um sorry i like divested a little bit you're asking about like the original consumer focus group um well that's that's all super helpful i mean one of the reasons i like to spend time here is you know a part of the a part of the audience are thinking about starting companies and um you know, the way people go about identifying opportunity is so crucial to, to where you end up at the end of the journey. Um, I, I want to spend one more question on this. When you, when you talk to people who don't really understand necessarily how to talk about the problem that they have, how do you ask them questions that actually um, elicit the truth? I think, like, not just, like, taking the answer and moving on to the next question, but like asking like, you know, several whys. And so mm. if someone like doesn't use skincare, why? that's not like the end of the like conversation, you know, like why? And then is it like the product? Is it the pain point? Is it like access, you know, um, and like diving deeper into that and, you know, like, and then just kind of like being comfortable with being like, Oh, elaborate more. Like, tell me more about that. So, um, not really like having those like leading questions, but like keeping it very general. And for us, I think we have like a general sense of like maybe where the conversation will go, but we're very fluid in like allowing the like person to share whatever sort of information they want. And I think oftentimes you'll see that like after a couple of whys, like they really like unlock, um, like once you've built out that trust, they're like, oh, actually, you know, my like girlfriend bought me this like a million years ago and I just keep using it. I don't even know why, like, you know, or, you know, and then you're like, so that probably means they're really looking for like the convenience or like they don't Mm -hmm. go through that discovery process again, you know? Um, Super interesting. Yeah. I love that framework of why times three or three or four or five. Yeah. Um, So Tell us a little bit about the channels through which Cardon sells. Do you consider Cardon omnichannel, pure play e-commerce? How do you talk about it to, to at least internally? Yeah, I think a lot of these like DSC brands are digital first. And I think also the way that we considered our distribution and like our progress pre-COVID and post-COVID is very different. Um, hmm. I think digital first makes sense because you're able to launch very quickly. You can like iterate, you have that great like feedback loop from consumers. Um, and then like trying to understand, I, like for us, it's really important because uh, we're able to see like what sort of messaging works, what sort of products people want us to create and how like people want us to communicate with them and like where's their biggest pain point. Um, but I think down the line, once you have all those things ironed out, then it's more about scale. And I think scale can come through more like distribution, like physical retail. I think a big plan of ours that we started to enact at the end of last year was working on more, um, working with like boutiques, like barber shops or like gyms, like fashion stores to, to like understand where your target consumer is. Like where is he gonna consider uh, for us, like skincare, you know, there aren't many opportunities where like a guy's like, hey, I need a moisturizer. Um, <laughs> but I think associating it with like the other wellness and like fitness, self-care uh, habits uh, kind of is like, you know, the same ballpark. Um, and I think like we do see like retail down the line, 
um but we'll see sort of like how things shake out these like smaller you know like boutiques uh obviously with covid taking a pause um but there is a longer lead time with like the larger retailers uh the other channel that we're on is also amazon and i think amazon now like you cannot ignore uh because a lot of people search there and people look for the convenience like the reason why we started on amazon was because again through like after we had launched we do like regular consumer focus groups and like calls with our uh, customers and they said you know it came to your site loved it then i checked amazon to see if you were there because i have prime and then i saw that you weren't so i came back to your site to shop but there must be probably like some you know attrition from like people who go check amazon and we're not there so that's how we like started um but i think amazon is its own beast and you need to like think about that channel very differently from your direct um, e-commerce site yeah it's so interesting it's a good segue into um what i wanted to talk to you about next let me just try to contextualize you know where i think we are in the world we're living with amazon on one side of e-commerce as the biggest store ever created, and a place and you know a place a platform or I would say an aggregator, on which the consumer has more convenience and more access to price comparison than in any other um, shopping experience in the world probably, and then you have Shopify which has empowered all of these individual brands, and you have these brands selling pure play direct and then you have them doing omni-channel and selling on both. But this is a context for just incredible competition in a world that is increasingly, in a world in which attention is what is increasingly scarce. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious to know how you all have thought about competition from kind of the early days when you were trying to evaluate the opportunity to now when you've got traction and you're building. Yeah, I would say like for us, it goes back to we want to know our customer better than any other brand. We want to provide for them, like through our products and through our service, um, better than anyone else can. So I think from a product perspective, we have that competitive advantage of using Korean skincare research and like having a very strong ingredient of like cactus extract that is understandable. Like, okay, that's going to soothe my shaving irritation. Um, but I think the, like the products will only like get you so far. You know, I think the, the loyalty comes from the experience and the service. And uh, for us, you know, that's why we've launched like our text consultation or virtual consultation. And for that, you know, and even our blog, we don't just cover like which of our products you should use, but like a holistic approach to like, what are your concerns? What are other products that we would recommend for you to like try out and it's really like walking you through that process of building a routine um and then i think once what's exciting about like men's personal care and like skincare specifically is that it is still new so it's fine to have multiple players because they're helping to grow the industry and they're helping to educate the end consumer and it's not like one you know brand takes all you can like share um and so for us i think it is exciting that this is a new industry that is growing um i think in terms of evaluating like amazon and like our shopify site you know amazon is much more transactional like they're looking for that convenience but like for our website we have that same convenience but it's like a high touch experience 
um, you know, like Nari and myself, we still do consumer um, like service emails and like calls so that we stay in touch and like we're, you know, we build like a much better hands-on experience there. And so they may not necessarily be the same consumer and like there is something for each type of consumer. I think if I, if I could synthesize that, because I'm, I'm so interested in these types of answers, I think you said the first way we think about product to differ, about, about differentiation is through product. Is the product actually differentiated and is the differentiation easy for the customer to understand? Is it memorable to some extent? Yeah, definitely. And then the second thing you said is um, the way you get, move from a product that has potential into a brand that has loyalty is you focus on the experience that the customer has at, at all of these touch points. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of curious, um, when you think about experience, um, you know, I often hear people say, I want to own the customer. Um, so what do you mean by experience? And what do you think people mean when they say own the customer? Well, what I mean by experience specifically for like our company is because there is still that sort of like intimidation of like talking about skincare. So how do we break down that barrier and have a very accessible um, experience for the consumer? So whether that's like he wants to go onto our website and like read the tips by on his, by himself, or he wants a more hands-on experience where he wants to talk to one of um, our like skincare consultants to like walk through his routine. Um, you know, it just breaks down the barriers to start to have that conversation. Uh, the other thing is like we, you know, have the subscription like option. So it's very convenient. It'll just arrive at your door. We're very flexible. Um, and it, it builds that like sort of trust with the consumer. I think also because we're always asking for feedback, like they feel like they're hurt. And so like when we, develop our new products it's very much like in line with you know it's been validated through like okay there is high demand for this versus like we just like develop in isolation and then like boom we have a new product it's very much like what is their biggest concern around this area etc um are there are there any kpis that you use to measure experience yeah so our our on-site right ratings and our like repeat rates um are definitely so we have extremely strong like repeat rates um we have like a 4.8 like out of five like on-site ratings also like our amazon ratings are really strong so amazon ratings i think are more so about like has the product um but then for our website it kind of encompasses what is the experience like so after every virtual consult like skincare consultation we send a survey that like you know evaluates like, what can we improve and honestly, we are lucky that we have consumers that are very like passionate and like vocal. So like they will, without even being asked, like let us know what they want next. Um, yeah. So we're lucky in that way. I was curious to get your take on kind of first party data collection. I mean, do you think that, how would you rate the way you guys are doing first party data collection today? Is it where you want it to be? And maybe you can give us a sense of where it is actually. Yeah, I would say that it works for us because we're so small, but, um, and we, are had that luxury of still being very in touch and we have a small team uh being very in touch with the consumer but i think as we grow you know it is important to kind of have more like data touch points um that being said i think it's still always good to have that like quarterly check-in with consumers to because there's a lot of stuff that i think like data cannot necessarily show you know like 
going back to what we said about like asking the several whys, um, usually like surveys, you can only get that like surface level. So it's a good sort of like barometer for like trends or like where do we need to investigate more? Um, but then that's kind of where the qualitative stuff comes in, I think. It's tough. Um, let's, let's shift gears and we've just got a few more questions. Um, marketing technology, big space, lots of tools, really important for, for performance. Um, how do you think about your marketing technology stack and how intentional have you all been in building that stack? Yeah. I first want to say that we live in an amazing like time because <laughs> when I was like helping startups back in like 2015, it's only five years ago, you know, like people are on Magento, everything had to like be built by an engineer. It was clunky, like, and now like launching a brand on Shopify, there's like an app for everything. Um, and you can get up and running like so quickly. So that's like amazing. I think the way, you know, there are a lot of options out there. Um, and the way that we evaluate is like, I think there's an app for like every size that you're at. Um, and if you're trying to just go for like super scrappy, I don't need a lot of functionality, but I don't want to spend a lot. There's an app for that. If you're looking for that middle tier where like, okay, we're starting to grow. I need better analytics. There's an app for that too. And then I think like there's also those like huge players that are just like, okay, I have a ton of budget and a ton of data. Like they're, you know, they have those like players too. Um, so I think that, it is really exciting. There are always going to be like new players because I think this space is constantly changing. Um, you know, we are doing more things like virtually now. Uh, and so there's going to be like new apps to like solve those problems. And I think eventually, I mean, it's just like a great time because like the product offerings are constantly like increasing. I would say, um, one tip that I have is, uh, like always like asking for a demo, um, and then also like asking for referrals. I, I think it's really important to have that sort of like founders network where you can be like, has anyone tried this? Because uh, it is like hard to know like where to go necessarily, uh, but referrals are really important. But a caveat would also be what works for like other brands may not necessarily like work for you. Um, so it's like important to sort of like see and test and then make your own decision about where, how to move forward. Totally. We're living in the world of COVID. Um, curious to know how that's affected you all, and but, but also how do you think about the future at this point? Are you building lots of different contingency plans? Are you not building contingency plans? Walk us through how you guys have, have considered it. Yeah, I think like very early on when COVID hit, we did not expect that, you know, it would be now like six months later and we're still on the same point. However, we did like restructure the way that we run our company for that scenario. Cause I think it's important to like manage for the worst, but then like have the potential upside uh, for the best and give yourself those opportunities. So, you know, we are running like very lean in order to like preserve cash flow. We started to invest heavily in online content, uh, building out the, um, consultations and like uh really thinking about like what will the new world be like and uh sort of like planning out what that might look like you know with like let's say like new product launches like how do you build up 
excitement. Like in the past, you would just like, you know, talk to press editors, like have a meeting. And, and now what does, what does that look like? How do you still have that sort of excitement, um, but not in person? I think like it's interesting because we've seen this like full circle initially with like everyone's very excited to connect virtually and they're like, oh, I'm speaking to people that I would have never spoken to because I didn't have the chance to see them in person. And now we're going through sort of like a virtual fatigue mm-hmm. where people are like, you know, I'm, I'm sick of being on Zoom every day. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think it's, it's, yeah, it's also just like, you know, the world is a very different place now, like on top of like COVID, I think the climate is different, you know, political and like socioeconomical. So um, I think it's important to like, just try and navigate the best that you can like plan for what the worst case scenario is. And at the end of the day, I think as long as you're always trying to like optimize for like the best uh, experience and without, you know, running out of your cash, then you'll like, you'll make it out in the end, you know, like just run lean until, until you have the top line to support more. Final question. If you had, uh, maybe you do have a younger sibling or a very close friend that, um, is considering starting an e-commerce brand and they're serious about it. What are the three questions that you'd ask them to evaluate their thinking and make sure that they weren't walking into something that would, that would be really painful for them in the end? Yeah, I do have a younger sister, but <laughs> she just started her residency. So, so she's not going to be starting an e-commerce brand soon. Um, I would say the three things that I think about, I would ask them to think about, are one, going back to like, what is the consumer pain point that you're trying to solve? Um, and making sure you articulate that and you're very clear on that. Um, and then the second is how you're uniquely positioned to solve it. So that's kind of like going back to the differentiation factor, either it's like through products, through your experience. Um, and then lastly, I would say third question is on a personal level. Like, do you have the commitment to do what it takes to build a brand? You know, there are a lot of like highs and lows and you just need to like stick it out. I think the truth about like starting a company is there's a lot of, failure, you know, until you hit something that's big. And so you just have to be comfortable with like seeing each failure as a learning and like moving forward from that and not being discouraged. Terrific questions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This has been so fun and I think really valuable for our listeners. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Thank you for having me. This is very fun. Good.